Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Howdy, y'all. I'm Steve Abramowitz, and this is the Mill Creek View podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. Coming to you from CRS at the Omni Hotel in downtown Nashville. Amazing event. That stands for Country Radio Seminar. So far, we've seen Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani play, Bailey Zimmerman. You can see it all on Twitter, at Mill Creek View. Jelly Rolls here. Cody Johnson played. Amazing. All right, more about that later. Lori Cordoza-Moore is our special guest today um, because we are making... We only invite people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. And you're about to hear from one uh, extraordinaire. Lori Cordoza-Moore has been appointed, awarded, and recognized by her peers for her leadership, including the President's Council of the National Religious Broadcasters, NRB, where I was broadcasting last week, the top 100 people positively impacting Israel by the Algeminer, if you can tell us if I said that wrong, an honorary doctorate degree in theology from the Latin University of Theology, the Friend of Israel Award by the Center for Jewish Awareness, the Goodwill Ambassador to Israel Award given by Israel Council General of the Israeli Foreign Ministry, Tennessee Textbook and Instructional Materials Quality Commission, boy, the state is lucky to have her, and Lori Cordorsa Moore is a respected go-to voice on the front lines of battle for the ideological, social, moral, and religious minds of this generation and next as Special Envoy to the United Nations for Human Rights and Anti-Semitism on behalf of 44 million Christians to her leadership in state houses through PJTN's Anti-Semitism Awareness Resolution, Lori is a tireless advocate. How are you today, Lori? Well, I'm tired just listening to all that. A life well lived. Good and faithful servant. Thank you for taking time away and coming to us from your car because I know you're probably back-to-back meetings. So let's just get into it. Um, You are good today, right? Yeah, we're good. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Lots to do, Steve. I know. I know. Never ends. If not you, who? September 21st, 2022. We're going to rewind just about a year uh, and a half. House Speaker Cameron Sexton reappointed Lori Cordoza-Moore to the Tennessee Textbook and Instructional Materials Quality Commission for a three-year term that ends on June 30th, 2025. We're in big trouble, but not for another year. The extension of your tenure on the panel following 2021 appointment to a one-year term comes as a new law gives the commission authority to overrule local school board decisions and ban certain school library books statewide. The final legislation creates a statewide process in which parents, school employees, or other complaints can appeal the decisions of locally elected officials on books challenged as being, quote, inappropriate for the age or maturity levels of students who can access them. Tell us how that's going. Why did you say yes for another three years? (laughs) Because our kids are counting on us. We've got to do this. We've got to get this right. And Tennessee is you know, one of the states who are leading the other states in dealing with this issue. And so, you know, it's it's shocking and it's horrifying that I even have to have this conversation with anybody. Um, it would be a no-brainer for any librarian, any teacher to see pornographic content in a classroom or in a class, a school library and say, oh, this doesn't belong here. But unfortunately, 
we live in interesting times. We have adults who think it's okay to introduce our children to pornographic content. And um, then we get accused for trying to ban books. No, we're not banning books. We're actually getting rid of books that are not appropriate, age appropriate. If a parent wants to take their kid to a library and introduce them to pornographic content, they can go to the public library, but not our school libraries. We are trying to create um, future leaders, and we're trying to develop our children's minds. And pornography, I mean, we don't even have the time during this interview to talk about the impact that pornography has on the brain and what it does, how it destroys our children, especially at young ages. So um, we actually had a hearing, um, our textbook committee hearing today. So um, there were no, unfortunately, there were no um, requests for our our um, committee to have to review any of the library books. I expect that there are library books in the pipeline that are working through the process because right now, um, if, a, if a parent or um, it can't even be a citizen, it has to be a parent with a child in the school system, has to bring the book to the attention of the principal, the school, uh, the teacher, make them aware of the book, and then they have to go through an, a whole appeal process on the district level within their, their county. If the parent goes through the process and is not satisfied with the outcome of the process on the district level, then the parent has the right, or the guardian, has the right to appeal that to the state, to our committee. And that's where we come in. So I'm looking forward to that. I will tell you, Steve, I have um, parents who have sent me 135 examples of pornographic content, anti-Semitic content, anti-American content in our text, in our library books. We wonder why our kids are turning out the way that they are. It's because we have so confused them because of what we're subjecting them to. So we have a lot of work to do. We need the help of parents and citizens. If we can find citizens that will look into the, this issue also, these books, these library books, then we can get parents who will be willing to petition to remove these books. But no, I mean, if you look at the stuff, the binder full of garbage that I have seen, and I have librarians who don't have a problem with this content. I think to myself, what has happened to us? And of course, these librarians are probably 20, 30 years my junior. Mm -hmm. So they may think that this is okay. Yeah, we'll talk generation. about that. We'll talk about the libraries in a second, and but it's no wonder that young girls and the depression levels are off the charts, never seen before in this country. So I totally get it. Um, the Textbook Commission oversees the official list of textbooks and instructional materials recommended for use by Tennessee students. It is composed mostly of educators, but also includes three non-educators, all of whom are appointed by the governor and the Speaker of the House and Senate. The bill expand the commission to the bill that I just talked about expands the commission to 13 members, including two school librarians as voting members and a state library coordinator as a non-voting member, which I think is you. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us about life on the board, 
what you're dealing with, who these people are, what the arguments are, why we can't just say age inappropriate out, age appropriate in. Classic education in, modern psychological babble out. Why not? Steve, that's really uh, the million dollar question for me is, you know, we have a Republican, conservative, evangelical Christian governor. We have the same with the speaker and the lieutenant governor. And so when I have to deal with these appointments or these appointees in these meetings, I am shocked by some of their responses to challenge what I'm suggesting that we do. And, you know, one of the things, of course, one of the issues is the library books, but also the textbooks. We're in the process of, we voted today to put together a list of um, experts that would come and review science textbooks and curriculum to make sure that they are appropriate, they fit within the standards and the framework of what the state has required by state statute. And so um, as the list of items were being read out loud and, their, and the, um, the code in the state law were listed today during the meeting, somehow critical race theory was left off of that list of things that these teachers, you know, educators would be looking for. And all I asked was for that to be included, CRT to be included, so that these educators that we choose or appoint to review the books, the science books, would would know what specifically that they needed to look for according to state statute. And, and, you know, we passed the law back in 2021. So why wasn't this number one being read on the list of the requirements that they need to be looking for that are in compliance with the state standards now? Um, but for some reason, it, there was some objection to even including CRT. And again, these are people that are appointed by conservatives, by people who share you know, politically, our values. So I don't know if it's, you know, if these appointees, um, I don't know how they got on the list, how they were considered. Um, they just got appointed. So it's, it's, uh, it's challenging. Mm. And okay. again, well, it used to be Howard Zinn and his anti-American history books. Now it's Frickin' Dr. Kinsey, if you want to call him a doctor, right there in science and health and education and everything. It's terrible. Okay. Uh, American Library Association. I've been told Tennessee's not part of it, but they're wrong. There is a part of the ALA that does teach these young kids how to be librarians. After her election as ALA president in June of 2022, after you, Emily Drabinsky described herself as a Marxist lesbian who believes in collective power with a mom who was proud of her, all right? Straight out of uh, uh, the Communist Manifesto, except I guess she likes family. I just cannot believe that a Marxist lesbian who believes that collective power is possible to build and can be wielded for a better world is the president-elect of the ALA. She said, I can't believe it either, but she said it. After she was elected last April, I am so excited for what we will do together. Solidarity and my mom is so proud. I love you. Do you see... Do you see the federal government 
our taxpayer dollars, the American Library Association, influencing those textbooks that you have to uh, rubber stamp out or in. I see them affecting the library books and the library books that our children have access to because the ALA does have influence in most, if not all, of the libraries, school libraries across the country. And I'm sure the public libraries. But, you know, that may be her personal perspective and, you know, that's fine and dandy, but not for our children. We're supposed to be providing our children with the library books. We're supposed to be providing our children with good literature. Good literature is so important in the development of the child because it helps that child to be able to think critically. Um, it helps their vocabulary. It helps their grammar skills. And to give our children garbage and say that this has value to it, this is the problem. We should be looking for literature like we, Steve, you look about the same age that I am, and we grew up with great literature. We would read books like To Kill a Mockingbird. Some of the classics were always, you know, part of what we read every year in high school when we got our reading list. But now they don't use the classics. Our children aren't, don't have access to the classics. If they do, you know, they're somewhere in an obscure place. They're not in a prominent place for the kids to access them. But this is what happened. And this actually happened back in 2010 when there was a concerted effort with Common Core to only put, um, give our children access to books that were published after 2010. Anything published before, don't waste our kids' time. Let's give the kids new literature. And the literature is garbage. It's written poorly. It has no redeeming value. You know, we're not teaching our kids to think critically. Um, that's what great literature does. I've and listened to interviews with some of these authors, and they are, they are illiterate themselves. They came out of a woke system, and they write woke literature that isn't fit for, you know, when we were younger, as you pointed out, um, at least for me, it was just age appropriate. You know, if you wanted to go to a movie and see it, if it's rated R, you had to have a parent. But if you want to go to Blockbuster Video and rent it, you had to show that right. you were of that age, right? What, whatever happened to the idea of a age appropriate section where that, you know, we can't all of a sudden say, well, you can read Lawn Boy, so then therefore you can also watch Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. it, it, right. it, it, something's with the culture, there's something wrong here. Um, Scholastic. When I was a kid, uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog, Scholastic Books, we were all very excited to, to see what was going to come out with the new Muppet book, something very sweet, wholesome Americana. They've changed. Do you see that? Do you see that Scholastic and the publishers are part of the problem, not the solution? Absolutely. So let me tell you what's happening in the publishing company world. And we see this also with the textbooks. Steve, you know about Pearson. Pearson Publishers is not a U.S.-based textbook publishing company. They're buying up all of the other publishing houses. Penguin. And they're not changing the name. Because they don't want anybody to figure out, well, Penguin is actually being bought out by Bartelsmann. And your audience may be familiar with Bartelsmann because Bartelsmann is a German-based publishing house. This is the same Bartelsmann 
during the reign of the Nazis, published the Brown Shirts Christmas books. They are now doing what Pearson did. They're buying up Penguin, Random House, Scholastic, and they're not telling anybody they're buying them up. And what are they it's doing? The There's the same ones that provide the textbooks in Gaza and Saudi Arabia that are hugely anti-Semitic, which you've been working with for 20 years. Yeah, that's exactly right. This is the problem that we have is our children are being subjected to this garbage by these publishers. Nobody knows that it's going on. When you hear Scholastic, we as you know, parents and parents today think, oh, Scholastic has a great reputation. Not so much anymore. This is the distributor of the propaganda and the garbage that are destroying the minds of our children. Our future, the future of this republic hangs in the balance of these people. So we've got Bartlesman and Pearson. Yeah, that's right. And Simon & Schuster, which is CBS, Disney, and all the rest, they've got their own issues and they'll probably sell. All right, uh, so the books. Here's what else you have to deal with. Here's a quote. Are you going to put them in the street, light them on fire? Where are they going? Asked Democratic Rep. John Ray Clemens of Nashville. He said that in April 2022, Mm -hmm. almost two years ago, have we lit them on fire? Has the left's blood libel of book-burning Nazis come true? No. Um, last time I checked, I haven't seen any piles of burning books like I saw with Adolf Hitler. But no, this is what these people, this is what the left does to try to incite fear, to incite doubt, to make <clears throat> excuse me, make people angry and think, oh my gosh, what's happening to our country? And and Unfortunately, you know, if anybody would just do a little research and look at the books that we are removing, it's like what you just said, Steve, it's not age appropriate. So if it's not age appropriate, then they shouldn't be reading it. If it doesn't help the lesson plan, if it doesn't coincide with the lesson plan for the teacher for that semester, why in the world would we subject our children to this garbage? only to destroy them, to destroy our children, to destroy our families, to destroy our nation, to destroy the world, to make it, to bring it under a Marxist regime. That's the agenda. Just like a Marxist lesbian library associate would want to do, right? I mean, that's what Marxism is. Okay. So back to your your day job. Uh, While most of the panel's 10 commissioners are licensed educators, Cardoza Moore is not, with an associate degree from the KD Conservatory College of Film and Dramatic Arts in Dallas, you are one of three members chosen by the governor and two legislative speakers. You weren't chosen by the governor, you were chosen by speaker, which is kind of a miracle. Um, But all Republicans, like you said, to represent parents and citizens. Thank you. She homeschooled her five children who are now grown. How is the board going to function going forward for your next, I guess, three years? Mm-hmm. Well, um, we are going to have to function according to state statute. And as these issues come up in these, in these hearings, I will continue to push back where needed. And that's the, the, the unfortunate thing is, Steve, there aren't enough people who share our same values on that commission. They're just shy of those values. And they'll tell you that they share those values. But when I get the pushback and I hear the responses, I have to question what their real motivation is. 
you know, Speaker Sexton put me on that committee to be a lightning rod. And I guess that's how I'm known in some circles. Um, other circles, I'm known by other names that I can't, <laughs> that I've been told that I can't say here <laughs> on the air. But it's only because these kids are counting on us as adults to get this right. I am not going to sit back and allow somebody 20 years my junior approve and adopt propaganda for our kids without pushing back and making everyone know. Those are public hearings. I hope that there were there are people who are watching, tuning in to those hearings and watching the conversation. That's where you're going to see what's coming down the pike for your kids. That's one of the reasons, actually, years ago when I started homeschooling my kids, it was because of the propaganda. It was because of the garbage. And it was coming into a private Christian school where I had my children. When they were bringing in the Bridges program, another communist program that failed and failed our children. I pulled my children out because I knew my children were going to be indoctrinated with garbage and they weren't going to know how to read. My kids read fluently. And so, you know, to answer your question, what am I going to be doing, you know, with this? I'm going to continue to be that lightning rod to expose and stir up the pot. I have tried several times to request just reviewing in our hearing, asking for new business, a new business item twice to review the 135 examples of anti-Semitic content. And I'm constantly told we have to stick on message. Well, this is our message. This is our responsibility. This is under our purview. We shouldn't have to wait for a parent to appeal or um, remove a book from a library book. We should be, as a commission, we should be looking proactively at what the, all the ruckus is about with these parents. Why are these parents so upset? What are their children being subjected to? But no. We don't want to talk about that because that doesn't fit with our agenda when it, when actually in reality it is the agenda because state statute just declared it that this is the responsibility but of course we want to you know we want to do what is only on the agenda for that that meeting like I said I've asked twice can we please just look at what the parents are outraged about Wow. But, well, I mean, it, it seems like an uphill battle. Absolutely. And the, the biggest problem is, I guess, the silver lining is two thirds of the kids out of Tennessee can't read. So whatever it is that they're sticking in their face saying, here, read this. And they can't read it. Now, the graphic novels, anyone can read that. That's why TikTok and, and video is so popular. But in terms of, you know, Lawn Boy is a novel. You do have to be able to read in order to get that propaganda. Um you're also the founder yeah. and president of the Franklin-based nonprofit Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Your evangelical Christian group supports Israel, advocates against anti-Semitism, and opposes teaching that resembles critical race theory, a field of study more typically found at the college level that delves into race relations and how policies and the law perpetuate systemic racism. Yes, we have seen how bad it is at the college level. We've seen it protesting now in the streets of Memphis and Seattle, mm -hmm. We've in Manhattan. 
uh, right there in where the largest population of Jewish people are. We obviously know about October 7th, the, 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 the barbaric raid from across the border into the peaceful uh, homes of these people using rape and murder and all kinds of atrocities. And, but yet, out comes the supporters that are protesting the genocide or the retaliation of Israel. Tell us, from your perspective, what's what's going on with all that, and and what are your? I know you. There's a video out there that I've seen. Unfortunately, I wish I didn't. Forty-five minutes of live coverage of the atrocities taking place, microwaving of babies and and murders and rapes. Yeah. Um, you've seen it. I know. I asked you ahead of time. What do you make of our government being in support of the bad guys when we've always been this shining city on a hill, this bastion of democracy and, and liberty, but all of a sudden we're in bed with the enemy? What What's going on? We're a fraud. We are a fraudulent country. After watching that video, Steve, you can never unsee the images that we saw sawing off the heads of IDF soldiers, chopping off the heads of IDF soldiers, children laying in pools. Yes. Children laying in puddles of blood. The blood was so deep in some areas. I thought, my God, how many people? My daughters went in to see this film with me they're adults and i i said to them are you are you sure you want to watch this because what you see you're never going to unsee and they said yes we sat through that whole 45 minutes i was appalled and now to watch our government stab israel in the back lie and tell the american people Israel's going to finish the job. We're going to wipe out Hamas. And then what does our fraudulent president do? He tells Israel, you have to stop. We're going to force you to have a two-state solution. Well, Mr. O'Biden, who are you to tell another sovereign state that you are going to divide their land? That land was given to them. The ICC, the International Court of um, of Justice, criminal, yeah, criminal, criminal court. court, is this week talking about dividing the land, saying that Israel doesn't even have rights to Jerusalem. Mm. This is unbelievable that this is going on. And the fact that the United States of America, the leader of the free world, is telling Bibi, telling the Israelis, you have to divide your land? No. You know what? Judea and Samaria are part of the biblical heartland, part of the covenant promise that God himself made with the people, with Israel. We have no business telling Israel that they have to divide their land. I am outraged by this administration. I have put out several statements condemning Biden for what he's doing. He is people don't even realize people don't realize that if they actually went with the biblical borders, Israel would be about twice the size it is now, not half the size. So that's a, you're right. They should watch what they ask for because they may end up losing everything, which would be fine. 
Um, it's hard to be sure because of the times we live in, but the Times of Israel has 238 IDF soldiers have been killed in North Gaza, and the Guardian says 30,000 Gazans have died. What do, you, what do you think is going on over there? You told me, like you said before, you saw the video. Not everyone has. Most of the press has probably ignored it completely. Um, do you think Israel's response has been proportional, or is there are they just getting going? They haven't even finished the job. They need to finish the do- job. They need to level the playing field. They need to wipe Hamas off the map. Israel is the most moral military. Oh IDF God. is the most moral military in the world. What bomb. other military do you know, Steve, that drops leaflets before they come in and bomb a place, that goes through a process called roof knocking to let mm-hmm. people know your business, your, your building is next, get out of there? How many governments do you know that, do, that will do that to the people? Obviously, it's not the terrorists. It's not Hamas. They don't do that. They don't warn the Israelis, hey, we're coming into your community at 630 this morning to, you know, to murder, butcher you all. They don't do it, but Israel does. And and for 40 years, the U.N. has been dogpiling on Israel every time they've done this. But the difference this time is that taxpayer-funded UNWAR has built tunnels underneath their headquarters, not yes. only funding that invasion, but actually uh, participating in it. Some of the kidnappings were on their watch. So the entire UN has been corrupted. You were with the UN all this time. Yes. Did you see this coming or have they completely gone um, over the deep end? They, whenever I would host an event at the United Nations, and I would go to the different member states of the UN to invite them. The scowl on the faces of the people that I would invite to participate was so heartwarming. <laughs> and I say that facetiously. No, you know, I'm not surprised that this is happening with the UN. It is shocking and horrifying that we have been using our tax dollars. We have blood on our hands, Steve as a country because we're not checking what our government is doing with our tax dollars we have we're guilty and if we don't speak out it's one of the reasons why i'm doing what i'm doing it's one of the reasons why we're trying to educate christians because you know okay the secular world yeah there there are people who are secular who aren't religious you know they should care about humanity but for the christian community for Christians, we should be speaking out. We should be condemning and calling out this activity. Where are the pastors? Why aren't the pulpits ablaze with this, this, these statements condemning this and holding our political leaders accountable? I almost feel like people are apathetic. Yeah, the, the population this... of Christians in the Middle East has declined dramatically to almost zero in some places like Iraq. And other places yes. that we've supposedly liberate, liberated our allies. The Senate just passed a $95.3 billion foreign aid bill with assistance for Ukraine and Israel. Tied them together in a vote this Tuesday. That was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Setting up a showdown with the House. As Speaker Mike Johnson has said, he does not plan to bring the bill to the floor. Chuck Schumer, Jewish, and Mitch McConnell, God knows what he is. What are, the, what are those guys doing? And why is Ukraine linked to Israel 
in that huge budget line item, they're, <laughs> they've already received more money than Israel has in the 50 years of its existence. Uh, Mike Johnson, do you know him? Do you have his ear? Is, do you I, think he'll hold I the line not. or do you think he'll cave? No. Uh, I'm hoping that he's going to hold the line. But the bottom line is the reason why Ukraine's money is tied to Israel is because they'd never get it passed without Israel. We have loyal supporters in our legis in our Congress that will that will vote with Israel and vote to support and provide whatever Israel needs. And of course, this administration has been threatening Israel: if you don't divide the land, if you don't do what we say, if you don't, you know, back off a little bit off of wiping out Hamas, then we're going to withhold ammo. We're going to withhold weapons. I had a state legislator contact me and tell me, I've got a manufacturing plant. We manufacture weapons and ammo. Tell the Israeli government, find me a distributor to Israel and I will sell what we have at cost because Sadly, we stand with Israel. I absolutely, except unfortunately, my former congressman, Steve, producer Steve's congresswoman, uh, Jayapal, who's the leader of the, uh, I call him the Hamas squad now, but the, the squad with the Progressive Caucus with AOC and Tlaib and, and, and uh, Elon Omar, uh, Bowman, these people are in bed with the terrorists. They've actually mm -hmm. switched sides from what America used to be, where it was a lot, APAC was the number one lobbyist in the country. Now they're completely ignored because there's this new jihad um, uh, const constituency. It's unbelievable. But I don't want to run out of time. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, we aren't going to solve the Middle East problems today, and we won't probably for the next 50 years. But uh, we do have school board race this year in Tennessee. Um, any comments on the board's performance these last two years since COVID and if they've gotten better or worse in the things you care about in, from 2019? All I can say is this is an election year. I'm a nonprofit or we're a nonprofit at PJTN. So I can't tell anybody who to vote for, but I will tell you, you need to flip your school boards. It's time to get rid of the, the stuff that, that is dragging on our children's education and get them out of office. We need to find more parents, more citizens who are going to run for office. So I think that tells you everything you need to know. I think uh, what people don't understand, and I remember very clearly a couple years ago, maybe 19, when uh, Leanne Baker had come to Tennessee and went, Nashville, went viral with her railing at the school board. The school board doesn't have any power. It's actually the superintendents, and they're all woke as can be. But last time was the first time in 240 years of Tennessee being in existence, I think that number's right, that it was a partisan race. So you had Republicans running for school board versus Democrats, but those Republicans have not proven themselves to be Republicans. So it's a big darn mess. And I think you're right. Pretty much if they're there now, they need to go because they're not the right people for the job. Um, it's kind of a modern miracle that you're on that board I was talking about. Lee, like I said, probably wouldn't have picked you of the pack, but he did pick an out-of-state non-teacher that hasn't even moved to Tennessee yet. Uh, Tennessee Commissioner of Education, Lizette Gonzalez Reynolds, to replace not well-liked Penny Schwinn, who was there last time, uh, also from out of state. I don't know why he can't find anybody in state like you, but okay. Why does he do that, pick out of state folks and not you? And how is Gonzalez Reynolds doing in her, um, maybe she's unqualified, unqualified for a job? I don't know. I don't know her. 
Well, she came in um, and we'll, we'll have yet to see if she's been effective. But again, it is very disheartening that we couldn't find somebody from Tennessee to fill her shoes. Um, I believe she comes with the price tag. And I believe that Bill Gates is the one that holds the purse strings to that price tag. And so that's why she was appointed. Because remember, Bill Gates, several years ago, brought a $34 million check. That was his first check that we know of. $34 million to Billy. Billy, of course, cashed the check. And education has changed. And it continues to change. And Bill and Bill Gates said that he's going to be in Tennessee for seven years with regards to education. So... Anything that is being done in education right now has the backing of globalist Bill Gates. That should make all of us very nervous and very concerned. Why in the world would our evangelical, Christian, conservative, Republican governor, Bill Lee, why would he take millions of dollars from Bill Gates, a globalist? Why can't just we gave just... Us 34 million reasons. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, Steve. Uh, so, well, so given given that, why did Schwinn resign? Why didn't she just stick it out? She seemed to be doing the same stuff. Uh, was she against vouchers? And Lizette is brought on to get them finally passed. Does that get no, Gates's uh, plan? No. I think there's something more sinister going on. I think we're running these educators who are privy to Bill Gates and his agenda through a system. And I believe that that system starts in California or Texas and it's found its way through Tennessee. Now there could be other states that Bill Gates is running these, these um, educators through. I, because I'm not involved in the other states, I can't tell you, I haven't done the research to find out where else is he impacting education. I would, I was, would suspect that he would be impacting education in many of the states, <clears throat> excuse me, tight. but I'm, you know, I'm at a loss. Now, remember, Penny Schwinn is in Florida. She got appointed as actually it was a new appointment all for her. So somebody is paying somebody off. And Ben Sass at University of Florida created this whole new position for her as vice president of University of or Gainesville, University of Florida, Gainesville. Wow. So she gets this nice little cushy job in Florida. And, and of course I have reached out to the, to, um, to governor DeSantis's office saying, hello, why did we bring Penny Schwinn in? This is a public university. Why did Ben Sass appoint her of all people? You know, what are her credentials? What has she done to, you know, where, where's her track record? Because there is none. It's all failed policies. It's the same so, failing up thing that we saw with Claudine Gay at Harvard. And we see with Penny Schwinn in Tennessee after her time in California. And now this one in Texas. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a Randy Weingarten and, and mm -hmm. Pringle. They just sort of drift up to the top because, I don't know, they're yes men and women. Uh, well, okay. 
We're not going to solve that one either, unfortunately. Did you agree? Well, do you agree? Oh, go ahead. I, I just want to make one more point about go where Penny Schwinn is. She's in one of the most prestigious universities that has an education school. And that's going to be her focus, future educators. Which is Florida, which we all were very enamored with DeSantis for being Mr. Pushback, Mr. Anti-Disney, Mr. This, and apparently she outlasted it, him. So, oh boy. Okay. Well, homeschooling. I just learned recently that when I take my notes on Microsoft, <laughs> yeah, when I take when I take my notes on Microsoft Outlook or uh, Word, uh, Microsoft can actually shut me off because it's connected now to their system and they can say, no, we don't like what you're saying. So I have to take my notes on three by five cards now for this show. Anyway, did you agree? Oh, yeah. Do you agree the money should follow the students and not be thrown at failing schools like the C through F rated ones we have here in Tennessee? I guess that would be I vouchers. Believe, I believe what has to happen. I'm, I'm, I understand the concept of vouchers, but I also understand that private schools that get vouchers don't teach aren't required to teach civics and social studies to our children. This concerns me because we have a, an issue with our children not being educated accurately. And I had someone bring this to my attention. I mean, I know this. We know the Muslim schools across the state, private schools, they're not going to teach civics or social studies. When I did have my kids in a um, evangelical Christian school, they did focus on social studies, on Tennessee history, <clears throat> excuse me. But some of these other schools are not required. The private schools are not required, but we're going to give vouchers to parents who are going to take their kids out of the public school system. And I understand why they're taking them out and putting them in a system that doesn't necessarily have to teach our kids our history, our, our social studies and civics. And this is important. This is where we're sorely lacking. For me, I tell as many parents as I can, get your kids out of the school system, bring them home, Educate them at home so you will know what your child is learning. It was the best thing I ever did with my kids. I was scared to death. I had five kids. I had to homeschool. But my kids are amazing. They read well. They are, in fact, they're world changers. They're writing, they're writing scripts themselves for future wow. projects for what we're doing at PJTN. So I'm telling you, I did, and, and they are passionate about fighting for our freedom, for their future, and for the, fu the future of their children, my grandchildren, your grandchildren. Yeah, so, civics was the most important thing that Tocqueville said when he toured America that we had that none of the other countries did, and now they're just taking it away from these, these future generations, which is terrible for everybody. Um, yeah. Do you have any concerns about health? clinics opening up in public schools and child parent consent and privacy being infringed in those absolutely those health centers have no business being in the school system if a child doesn't just like when we were going to school if i didn't feel good my mom was going to pick me up at the school and she was going to take me to the pediatrician we don't need health clinics in our schools health clinics are breeding grounds for giving our kids abortive patients you know helping our kids engage in sexual activity. I mean, there's a whole, a whole number of things that these health clinics can do for our kids. 
providing them condoms, the boys' condoms? No. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're. I mean, let, let's face it. It's Planned Parenthood is attached to K through 12. It's all right. It is. Just like That's the textbooks exactly before that. And the textbooks are part of the problem trying to get kids to be promiscuous to become consumers of Planned Parenthood. It's very evil. Okay, yeah. we're going to run out of time. So I got to ask you this. But your boss, I guess, or your, the guy who appointed you, Cameron Sexton, last year had some nullification ideas like uh, sending Department of Education funds back to D.C., return to sender, thank you, no thank you, uh, and going it alone. I like that. Um, it seems to have morphed into vouchers, but do you think that will come back or do we need the money from D.C. now for charter expansion and vouchers? No, I had I had suggested to the speaker that we need to keep Tennessee dollars in Tennessee schools. We need to tell we need to sever ties. In fact, um, this has also been recommended to, to DeSantis that we remove the federal dollars and the federal programs. If we, if we remove the federal dollars, we get rid of the federal programs. We should be using our own money to educate our own children, just like we did before the Department of Education. We need to abolish the Department of Education. In fact, I'm going to be meeting with Senator Scott. I've already submitted to him the white papers. And if anybody's interested in accessing the white papers, you want if you want to see how seriously um, problematic our curriculum is and what we're doing to indoctrinate our children, go to our website at pjtn.org, go to the resources page and read those. There's three white papers that we produced or published on the indoctrination in America's classrooms, um, education in Florida today, and also the wokeism that has penetrated our Jewish day schools, our Catholic schools, our Christian schools. You want to see the extent of the problem? You think it's not a problem? Go read those white papers. Yeah, I know. The Association of Counselors, the Association of Nurses, the Association of Care Workers, the Association of Teachers, the Association of Libraries, the Association of all of the, 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 the uh, guidance counselors, they mm-hmm. all have from above this top-down Marxism uh, penetrating, and uh, you are right there to be actually right to point it out. But a lot of people have their head in the sands and they're not paying attention because yeah. there's strings attached to it. It's it's the federal dollars. You want those dollars? Like Lee said, you, you, you took those $34 million? Well, now you got to play ball, buddy. Okay, last question. Yeah. Hopefully some optimism in this question. The Tennessee Department of Education announced the 2022-23 statewide graduation rate is 90.6%, exceeding 90% for the first time and achieving the highest graduation rate on record since 2012. November 20th, 2023, with a statewide rate of 89.8% of Tennessee's high school students graduating on time in the 2021-22 school year, a total of 78 districts improved. There's 95 of them, I think. Uh, That's really good, right? Improvement into 90s is great, highest in a decade. Or are they shuffling these kids out into uh, no man's land with no education? Unfortunately, the last three generations of kids, we have indoctrinated with propaganda. Yes, we've pushed them out there. Um, I doubt seriously, with the reading scores the way they are, um, I doubt seriously that we have painted a rosy picture for the future of the children that we've graduated. And I mean, I say this not just for Tennessee, because you know, Steve, I'm working in other states 
um, Texas, Arizona, Ohio, um, of course, Florida. You know, the problem is pervasive. And unless it's why at PJTN, we are trying to focus on parents and citizens, county by county, state by state, because this is a national problem. It's not just here in our state. We say, oh, look at our numbers. We did better this year than we did last year. You know, the proof is in the pudding. What are we putting out? Can our kids read? Can our kids think critically? <clears throat> I'm looking at a bunch of kids that are marching in streets supporting Hamas and terrorist groups and kids who are siding with terrorist groups. And I'm saying to myself, and our kids are better? Really? And you can walk up to them and because say, what river America and what sea are you talking about? And they won't know the answer. They're just activists. They're no. not educated uh, historians or they don't know anything about the uh, Oslo Accords or whatever have you. All right, we are out of time. And by the way, Betsy DeVos, after four years at the Department of Education, also said, shut that thing down. It's garbage. So you're, you're in good company. Um, but thank you for it's your time. Now. You're probably the <laughs> smartest person I know uh, on all these topics. So thank you for coming back again a second time. Uh, tell everyone, you did mention Pajamas Tennessee, PJTN. Dot org. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you, find out uh, your social media, how they can follow you, yep. support you, get behind you, rally with you, whatever it is you got coming up, let us know. Yes, please go to the website. We need for you to sign up to become Watchmen because we are the ones who are watching and paying attention. You can We're on social, all the social media platforms, at PJTN, on X, twi you know, formerly Twitter, um, Facebook, you can find us at Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, Instagram at PJTN. We want to hear from you. We're here. We created this organization to equip you so that you can go and you can flip your school board. We did it in Williamson County a decade ago. We've seen it happen in several counties in Florida. We just had um, last year in Ohio, we had 120 citizens and parents run for school board. So their elections are coming up. They raised a million dollars. So people in Ohio and in other states are waking up. Arizona, the same thing is happening. So now we got to go out to Washington state. That's going to be a challenge. Good luck with but that. No, yeah. yeah. But no other PJ, country in the world would allow this. So, you know, if it's, yeah. if it's ever going to happen for the better, it's going to happen in the land of liberty. So thank God for you Amen. for doing it. God bless you for doing it. Thank you for coming on with us. Hope to have you on again sometime. Um, I will, I will be in touch. <laughs> thank you, Steve. God bless you. You keep up the great work. Trying. Thank you. Hi, this is Aaron Spradlin with the Mission America Foundation, and you're listening to Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Oh, oh boy, talking a little Tennessee there, Steve. Segment of our show, producer Steve, what do you think of our guest, Lori Cordoza Moore, talking Tennessee? Oh, she's a live wire, and I am looking forward to seeing more uh, school boards overturned. Um, I know that um, you and I both have different uh, 
involvements with various uh, media properties, but since 2020, I have seen a groundswell of individuals who are doing just that. They are going into the schools, they're alarmed parents, and they're saying enough is enough, and they're taking back their school districts one school board at a time. And it's not going to get any press. It's just going to be quietly done one school board at a time. Every time uh, an election comes up, they can slowly go in there. So I have got a lot of hope in that area, but we do need a lot more people out on the streets involved in that. That's true. And uh, no show of mine is complete without telling you something you don't already know. Um, I didn't know this until I researched it. So now you get to know. Uh, Mideast involvement has cost U.S. $1.6 billion since October 7th, 2023. That is five months ago. U.S. military buildup in the Middle East followed the October 7th, 2023 Hamas terror attack on Israel has cost $1.6 billion and the Pentagon can't afford to pay it. The tab includes money spent on sending additional warships, fighter jets, and equipment to the region and maintaining their presence. It does not include the cost of the missiles used to strike Houthi positions in Yemen or to down drones and other missiles in the Red Sea. In total, so far, $29.2 million has been spent on military personnel costs, $708.6 million on operations and maintenance, $528.4 million on procurement, $51.9 million on research, development, testing, and evaluation, and $248.5 million on transportation. The Pentagon admitted last year that it does not have the funds to pay for the Middle East buildup due to ongoing budget negotiations in Congress, although Congress recently passed a temporary measure to avoid a government shutdown, military appropriations have yet to be authorized. Congressional appropriators received the estimated bill from the Department of Defense in response to inquiries about the rising cost of the country's increasing military involvement in the region. The estimates suggest the total could cost could rise to 2 $0.2 billion over a full year. Taxpayer dollars hard at work blowing stuff up and rebuilding it. <laughs> the ultimate broken glass theory of economics. Yes. All right. Um, and they can't fix the border. They'd rather <laughs> no. spend it over there. Other people's borders. That's, you know, other, other borders matter, I think we should call it. OBM. On Twitter, someone named Darren Stalkup goes by World Peace Movement. And he has a blue check mark, so that means he's legit. Uh, he had this to tell us. I'll tell you why I care. Macy's Union Square to close down permanently. I work at the Cheesecake Factory on the top floor of Macy's. It was a great restaurant to work at. Many nights I enjoyed serving families and tourists from all around the world. As time went by, I noticed less guests at the restaurant. The holiday season at Union Square brought back what seemed like the last wave of guests. And since then, things were slow. Working at the Cheesecake Factory was awesome, a restaurant on top of Macy's with an amazing view. My fellow employees were the best of the best, but unfortunately, because of the fentanyl genocide in our community, the homeless crisis, and the lack of leadership, both with incompetent London Breed, that's the mayor, and corrupt San Francisco BOS, Board of Supervisors, the quality of life around Union Square began to fade. I noticed a temporary breath of fresh air brought by the Chinese Lunar New Year Festival, but now again, the same slowness has returned. Now the, Ma now the Ma Macy's is closing down for good. San Francisco has officially reached terminal velocity in its economic collapse. Countless businesses and mom and pop shops and restaurants have closed and or moved away. 
the lack of local government law and order, mass theft, fentanyl, genocide, and homeless crisis were undoubtedly the reason the Macy's is now closing down for good. Sad to see her go what seemed like the heart of downtown San Francisco for many years. Ever been there? No, I haven't. I've been to um, San Francisco, but that was many, many, many years, and I swore I'll never go to San Francisco again. But anyway, that was more like traffic issues and stuff. But Steve, these legacy companies are going by the wayside because the infiltration of our businesses, our governments, of the Marxist agenda has taken its toll. And you're right. Uh, fentanyl is running wild. And the guys at the top, especially here in Washington State, they like it. They like it. They don't want it to stop, even though local communities are doing all they can. So it's terrible. Well, I'm born and raised in the Bay Area. And if you go to that Macy's before it's closed and you look out the window, you can see directly across Union Square and you can see another tall building, uh, Sir Francis Drake Hotel with at the top of it, the Harry Denton Starlight Lounge. I proposed to my wife on my knee at that restaurant. That's what everybody did. That was the California treat. That was the San Francisco treat. And now... I wouldn't go back there either if I were anybody, uh, unless I really, really disliked you. Um, Darren, who I just quoted, got a reply from Jenny Girl from Fourth. This was planned by the bike lanes people. Blame the redesign of Powell, which is a street with a cable car on, and Jeff Tumlin, downtown San Francisco. That He was a board of supervisors. Downtown San Francisco is over with one car lane. Say goodbye to normal people. Say hello to public housing for all. Wow. She's right. She's right. That's exactly what you alluded to, even though you didn't know it. That is happening where you live. Yep. Because when I was there, I was fighting against the damn bikers who wanted every single street to be a bike lane, regardless of the sharp right turn that people would take and kill people on bikes. Didn't matter. We wanted more bike lanes, less car lanes. Um, I agree that the bike lane people uh, started all this. Like I said, they did it in Seattle total uh, offshoot of the dummies that sit on the freeways now protesting Gaza and the sea turtles or whatever they are into these days. At least in Seattle, they arrested folks. The ones in Memphis, pro-Gaza, that sat on the freeways, just a week later after that, they have had no consequences. So <laughs> sounds like they are Washington stating their Tennessee in some parts for sure. Um, guess someone will just have to have a tragic accident with an 18-wheeler one day. Okay, well, goodbye to TECN.TV, and uh, let's uh, move on over to Rumble and your favorite podcast station and finish it up. Uh, Clip number one. It's too good to resist. And here we go. Thanksgiving that has offended many people for decades. Franklin, the only character from Peanuts who is black, is seated on his own, well away from the other classic characters. Here's how The Daily Show once reported the controversy. They invited him, but look where they put him. He's by himself. Even the dog gets to sit with the kids. Now that historic wrong from the 1973 Peanuts TV special is being righted. Franklin's own special, Welcome Home Franklin, just started streaming on Apple TV. Co-writer Rob Armstrong spoke about it on CNN. That scene is where this whole project began. We all wanted to address it. And finally, um deal directly with it. Is this your beach ball? The character of Franklin emerged from the turmoil of 1968. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, 
has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Weeks after Dr. King's assassination, Peanuts creator Charles Schultz introduced a black character at the suggestion of an elementary school teacher. Hard to believe, but some newspapers refused to run the strip. Franklin became a small but impactful symbol of racial harmony. But this scene from the 1973 special is now viewed as a terrible slight. Hey, Franklin, we saved you a seat over here. Come join us. Finally, a half century later, Franklin is taking his proper place at the table. What they don't point out is there's two people at the other ends, too. One person at one end and one person at another end. <laughs> and a dog. And a dog. Or whatever. Um, <laughs> I love Snoopy. All right, stay tuned for my thoughts of the day. Hi, this is J.T. Olson. I'm the president and founder of Both Hands Foundation, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View Podcast. I don't Time for my quotes for the day before I share. I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View, and hit the subscribe button. I really hope you like it. And you can join the conversation at Mill Creek View on Twitter and Facebook anytime. You can see the live performances on Twitter right now. Whenever people talk glibly of a need to achieve educational excellence, I think of what an improvement it would be if our public schools could just achieve mediocrity. Thomas Sowell, greatest living economist of all time. The aim of public education is not to spread enlightenment at all. It is simply to reduce as many individuals as possible to the same safe level, to breed a standard citizenry, to put down dissent and originality. H.L. Mencken. Sounds terrible. Let us think of education as the means of developing our greatest abilities, because in each of us, there is a private hope and dream which, fulfilled, can be translated into benefit for everyone and greater strength of the nation, John F. Kennedy. Many public school children seem to know only two dates, 1492 and 4th of July, and as a rule, they don't know what happened on either occasion. Mark Twain. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Lori Cordoza-Moore, for looking out for our kids. God knows the ALA and federal government and, sadly, superintendents, counselors, teachers, and public school union bosses won't. Mm. This is goodbye for now. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. I'll be broadcasting again tomorrow from CRS. See y'all then. Peace in our time and definitely glory to God.
Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.